on uh, what makes a healthy church, and we're looking at different values of uh, what, what makes up a healthy church, and we've gone over things like generosity and the importance of uh, gathering together as a church. And then today we're gonna look at, is that, let's see, have we gone over any more, Dan? Gathering and generosity? Service, service, yeah. I missed that one, I was out of town. Okay, but today what we're gonna be looking at is um, the Bible. The Bible is the foundation for us as believers uh, for what makes us healthy, healthy followers of Christ, healthy disciples. And so it's so important that we have that as one of our main values here in the church. And we're going to go over that. But it's sort of like this. You know, years ago, Danny and I, we got married and we moved here to Columbus. And soon after, I had to go to downtown Columbus to fill out some kind of forms. I don't even remember what they were now. But um, when I got there to downtown, you know how there's all these one-way streets in downtown? Well, I, there were just, I couldn't get to the place. I kept turning and hitting, you know, I could see the building, but I couldn't get to it because of all of these one-way streets. And so I kept driving and driving, and then finally I accidentally turned the wrong way on a one-way, and I realized it just as immediately, you know, and I thought, whoop, and I just stopped, and all of a sudden I see lights behind me, red lights, and it's a policeman. And I explained, I said, oh, I, I realized it as soon as I turned, uh, turned here, and I'm new here to the area, and he just didn't have any mercy on me at all. <laughs> he went ahead and gave me a ticket. And then, believe it or not, about 10 years later, I had the exact same thing happen. And I got another ticket. So I am scarred from downtown. I, I, I don't like to go to downtown. And I remember laughing and telling Danny, I said, from now on, when we go to downtown, you, you uh, drive. I don't like it. But here's the deal. You're probably thinking, okay, how is that like the Bible? The Bible is not a one-way street. The Bible is a two-way street. And here are the two ways. Number one, when we read the Bible, we find valuable information about God. That's the most important thing. We find valuable information about God. But not only that. See, a lot of people on that one way to God, they, they stop there. But we actually find a roadway into his presence as we read the word of God. Okay, so that's one way. The other way is that God relates valuable information about us when we read the Bible. He relates valuable information in reference to him. It really does explain who we are. See, a lot of times we don't know how to live. We don't know why we're here. We don't know why, you know, what our identity, what our meaning and purpose is. But when we read the Bible, we begin to get it. We get that information about who we are, who we are when we read the Bible. And so that's really important. So we're going to look at these two roadways about God and about us today. Now, according to the last census that was taken here in the United States, one-fifth of all Americans 
don't have any religious affiliation whatsoever. They don't attend any church or any religion uh, whatsoever. They're, they marked the place where it says none. They're called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. <clears throat> One-fifth of Americans, but one-third of those adults that say they don't go to church are under age 30. And those numbers are climbing rapidly. And it, it is uh, probably the highest number they've had of people that don't have any religious affiliation ever since we began polling. But even so, even so people uh, don't know the Bible or they don't go to church to learn the Bible, the Bible still remains extremely popular, which is odd, it's really odd. But here's a few stats about the sales in the Bible that were shocking to me, that sales in America alone amount to more than $650 million a year on Bibles. That, that's surprising to me, I had to look that up a few times. The average household has 3.2 Bibles, and 27% of Americans own at least five Bibles. And also, the Bible remains at the top of all bestseller lists every year, even though less and less people are going to church and saying they aren't believers. The Bible still remains, remains way high on the list. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, there's all kinds of reasons why, but in my own life, I know a lot of you, I've told you about just my own experience that I had with Jesus when I was a teenager. I had this incredible, you know, mind-blowing experience with the Holy Spirit when I was about 16 years old that absolutely rearranged my whole life. I mean, totally changed my life. But after that experience, I remember thinking, I want to find out who this God is. And I began to read the Bible. And through the pages of reading the Bible, it was like life was being spoken to me. I mean, healing was coming into my life. Uh, I knew there was truth. As I was reading it, it just had a strong ring of truth as I read it. I was gripped. I was gripped by... Uh, the words on those pages, I got powerful insights that I didn't have before. And I also had insights for how to live my life. But one of the things that was so sweet, I remember when I would read the Bible, it was like the presence of God would come and just speak to my soul, speak life to me. And so it was that roadway in to God's presence and I, I began to love the Bible right from the get-go. And you know what? I've never stopped loving it. That's my favorite thing to do every day. I mean, I love getting up in the morning, getting my cup of coffee, and going and reading the scripture more than anything. I love it. I meet God there. God speaks to me through the scripture. So here at VCDC, we desire for our whole church to read the Bible but also to learn to love the Bible, to, to really experience the presence of God as they read it. So what I want you to do is to turn in your Bible. We're going to go to a very familiar passage about the Bible, but we're going to kind of take it apart. It's 2 Timothy 
And if you don't have a Bible, we've got them on the stage, and we've also got them on the both ends of the sound booth back there, so pick one up. And we're going to just camp right here in 2 Timothy 3 for the rest of our time and just kind of take this apart about the importance of God's Word. It is so, so valuable to us. But first, let's pray before we uh, read it. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that you speak to us through the Bible. And Lord, I ask that through this passage today, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would take us closer to you. And I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and fill me now. Fill me now with your presence. Amen. Okay, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, and we're going to look at some reasons why we believe the Bible is reliable and why it's a reliable source to live by. Okay, so look at verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, we're going to unpack this. That first phrase that it says, it says that all scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean, God-breathed? Well, it comes from the Greek word theopneustos, which means breathing upon or to blow. Interesting word. It's the same word in Hebrew that was used in Genesis 2. Remember when God created uh, Adam out of the dust of the ground? And then it said that he, he took him and he blew into his nostrils. It's the same exact word. And at that point, when God blew into his nostrils, Adam became a living human being. The same word when it's translated into uh, Greek. All right, so the Bible, there's life upon it. The Bible is God-inspired. It's God speaking. He's breathing life into us. If we allow him, one woman last night said, I didn't realize that. And I was taught in my church not to approach the Bible that way. And she said, that was news to me. And I said, oh, wow, God really does want to speak to you through the Bible. Now, he used, uh, when he wrote the, had the Bible written many, many moons ago, he used human agents to actually write the Bible. So you'll see the different personalities of the people that wrote the Bible. But it's still 100% God-inspired. God-inspired. He breathed upon these people that wrote the Bible. So there is authority for life. Authority for life. When God breathes and speaks something, there's authority to it. So there's authority for our lives when we read the Bible. And we need to approach it as such. Jesus saw the authority of God's word. When he walked this earth, he was constantly, to back up a point, he was constantly quoting the Old Testament because that's what they had. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. So he's quoting from the Old Testament. He saw the scriptures as God breathed, that authority of God upon them. And everywhere Jesus went, people would say, wow, there's authority upon his words. So Jesus saw the scriptures as having authority for life. 
Okay, now also, the Bible is a reliable document. You know, a lot of people will say, okay, how do we know, you know, that the Bible wasn't changed? You know, it was written a long time ago. How do we know it hasn't been changed over the years? And, you know, just people add their things to it and change it. Okay, a lot of people will ask, that's a valid question. But here's the deal. We do know the answer to that question. And we know the answer to that question through the science of textual criticism. Now this gets a little technical. Some of you may kind of glaze over, but some of you need this part. And so if you if just if this is boring to you, just kind of hang on for a minute. We'll get to the part that'll be more for you. But here's the deal. If you if you struggle with that, that essentially the science of, of textual criticism means that the more text we have, the less doubt there is about the original. Okay, there's a really good book, if you need help with this, by F.F. F. Bruce, and it's called, Are the New Testament Documents Reliable? And basically, he shows in this book how rich the New Testament is in manuscript attestation by comparing the text with other historical works. Here's some of the historical works he talks about in the book. And some of you history buffs will know these works. Things like classical works like Caesar's Gaelic War, Livy's Roman History, Thucydides and Herodotus. These uh, historical manuscripts, historical works, have about nine to 20 copies, nine to 20 copies, and there's hundreds of years of gaps in between these copies, but yet they're still considered valid manuscripts. No classical scholar doubts the authenticity of these works up here. In spite of the large time gaps that are between uh, the different manuscripts that were written. Okay, now, the New Testament, though, here's the deal. Here's why we, we have reliable documents in the New Testament. We have a great wealth of material in the writings, especially of the New Testament. It was probably written between 40 and 100 AD, which means people were still living that were around when Jesus walked this earth. And we have excellent full manuscripts of the whole New Testament dating back to 350 AD. There are over 5,000 Greek manuscripts, over 10,000 Latin manuscripts, and over 9,000 other manuscripts that all match one another Perfectly. In fact, you know what? If they didn't match, if they would find one mistake in any of these manuscripts, they would throw the whole thing away. The whole thing away, even with one tiny little, little, you know, mistake. As one of the greatest textual critics, F.J.A. Hort says, in the variety and fullness of the evidence on which it rests, the text of the New Testament stands absolutely and unapproachably alone among ancient prose writings. So we do have scientific evidence that even 
secular scholars would acknowledge the reliability of the scriptures. But we don't have just that. See, see the scriptures are God-breathed, too. So there's something in us when we read the scriptures that we go, wow, there is something true. There's a ring of truth to this. There is authority upon the scriptures. Okay, now go back to your text to, to the uh, 2 Timothy 3 passage, and let's start taking that apart. But go back one verse to verse 15, and let's get some context here. Paul is speaking to Timothy. He's speaking to Timothy here, and listen to what he says. Young Timothy, he was young, and he says, How from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. See, there's all kinds of benefits of reading the scriptures. And one of the benefits here is it, it will make you wise for salvation. You see, um, Timothy, his mother was Jewish, and she taught him the scriptures. In that culture, people taught their little children, even before they knew their name, they said they would teach them the scripture. And it was often said that they would sooner forget their name than the Holy Scripture. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you know the scriptures, but the scriptures will make you wise. And they'll make you wise for salvation. There's wisdom there for salvation. I've met many people who studied the scriptures first, and they came to know Jesus through just reading the, the New Testament. You know, we had a neighbor when I was a little girl. Um, I'll never forget this, but he uh, lived right across the street, and we, they had kids our age, and we played back and forth at each other's homes. And the, the father had a complete breakdown. I mean, he didn't even know who he was or anything. And he was in, the, uh, psychi he was in a psychiatric hospital for about a year. And my dad um, would go, they didn't go to church or anything, and my dad would go visit him, and he would take him uh, scripture. He took him the Bible. And first he was just sitting there, and he would uh, read to him. And then he left him a Bible. Well, after about a year, he was released from the hospital, and they said, you know, he'd been cured, you know. But actually, he was. For the rest of his life, he did fine. And he said that while he was in the hospital, he met Jesus. And he met Jesus through reading the scripture. And he said he can remember the day it happened. He said he had all these appointments with all these psychiatrists, but he said he was reading the scripture and it was like the presence of Jesus spoke to his soul. And he said it was the first sane thought he had had since he'd been in there. And he just began to get well. And it was through reading the scripture. Through reading the scripture, he, just, he could feel his mind healing through the power of God's word directly to him. I could tell you story after story of people who've said they've just gotten well by reading the scripture and allowing God to speak to their hearts as they read it. You know, if you apply this book to your life, wisdom is released. You know, um, uh, an example in the Bible of someone who kind of blew it with the scripture was Solomon. Solomon started out loving the scripture. He was called 
the wisest man that ever lived. And he was a good, he started out as a good king that followed the Lord. But you know what happened? He began to think he had more wisdom than God. And in Deuteronomy 17, God, through Moses, had warned the kings to be careful about a few things. He said, be careful about accumulating too much silver and gold, large amounts of it. And he said, also, be careful about accumulating all of these horses that you will lean on for help. And he said, and also, be careful, do not marry foreign wives because they will turn your heart away from God. Well, did you know that Solomon ignored these commands? And he accumulated all this wealth. He had more horses than any king had ever had. And he had all these wives. He married women from every country. In fact, he was known as the man who had a thousand wives, wives and concubines. I can't even imagine how that worked. But anyway, <laughs> he, uh, he ignored God's commands. And at the end of his life, did you know the scriptures say that his foreign wives had turned his heart away from God? It's really sad. See, he was the smartest, or the, yeah, the smartest dumb man that ever lived. He really was because he had ignored the wisdom of God's word and thought he knew more than God, which that's what we fall into doing that too, don't we? Okay, now move back into verse 16, and let's start looking at all of these benefits that are useful for life, that it says. It says that the scripture is useful for teaching, teaching us. The scriptures teach us. And the word, um, the Greek word for teaching means to impart information. See, as we read the scripture, we get just the factual information about God. And that's what this word is, more of a factual word. We get these facts about who is the God that we, that we worship. See, if we don't read the Bible, here's what happens. We just kind of get real flimsy in what truth is. And we fall into this kind of murky pit of subjectivism and anything goes. If we don't use the Bible as our plumb line, as our foundation for who is the God that we serve and what does he tell us to do? How does he tell us to live our lives? The Bible has power and authority and it's there to teach us how to live and who he is. You know, people make up all kinds of stories about how, who they think God is. You know, I was just talking to a woman the other day that told me, she said, uh, we, we got into talking about uh, our faith and she said, well, I don't, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in that. I don't, why do you have to have, you know, Jesus be your savior? And she said, you know, I just think that um, God can do whatever he wants to do. He didn't have to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. God loves all of us and wants all of us to go to heaven. He's never mad at us and he's never, he never has any judgment. And we just all are God's children no matter what. He can do that if he wants to. And she's going on and I'm just sitting there thinking, well, that's a nice story. But that's not what the Bible says. You see... We do not have the privilege of making up our own rules about God. 
We, we like to, don't we? <laughs> but that's not, that's not the way it works. See, God tells us who he is. And we say, yes, that's who you are. I don't make up the rules. So the word of God, the truth of God's word, if you press into it, it really does give you truth and it transforms your life. It really does. That's why we constantly are telling our small group leaders, we want you in the word. We want you in the word because we, we need to read it alone, but we need to read it as a group and, and discuss it and understand it. Read it, you know, on your own. That's why we're always giving out Bible study guides. We'll be giving out more during the 40 days of prayer and fasting because we know the word of God is important for each and every one of us to learn how to live and to know God. But through steadfast perseverance of reading his word, your life will change. Your life will be transformed, I promise. I promise it will. Okay, now let's move on to what else it says that the scripture is, uh, the benefits of the scripture. It says it's there to rebuke. It's for teaching, but it's also for rebuking. Isn't that fun? <laughs> but actually, it's a good thing. The word is kind of a harsh word, and what it means in the Greek is to turn back sharply. It's a harsh word. It, it, it basically gives the idea that you're going the wrong direction. You're headed toward danger, and it's a harsh word to turn back. You know, it would be like if we saw a little kid walking out and going toward the, the road out here and there was a big truck coming, you would scream to the top of your lungs, wouldn't you, to save that child? That's sort of the, the idea behind this word rebuke. God sometimes sees us walking in front of a big truck coming at us and he gives us a harsh rebuke because he loves us. He doesn't want us to bring destruction into our lives, but oftentimes we think we know better, don't we? Just like Solomon. And we really choose our own way. But we need to pay attention to God's word. He wants blessing, blessing to come into our life. One of my favorite stories is the story of King Josiah. If you haven't read it, it's in second, it starts around 2 Kings 21. Great story. But there was a line of... Um, evil kings in Israel that began to bring idolatry into the land, even though God had warned them, no, don't bring idolatry into the land. Well, they did anyway. They thought they knew better, and they began to bring the idols of all the surrounding countries in. Josiah comes along. He's just a little boy. He's eight years old. He becomes king. And then he's growing up with no Bible. They had gotten rid of God's word. They had actually, no one read the word anymore. And he didn't even know there was a word of God. There, there was the Holy Scripture. And at one point, he, this is really cool, he's a teenager now, and the priest brings in the Bible, the Scriptures. It was a scroll back then. And he brings it in, and they dust it off. He had found it, you know, somewhere and, and they open it up and they start reading it. 
And it says that Josiah and the priest, they were just cut to the quick. They ripped the robes and they wept and they went, oh my gosh. You see that authority of God's word. You know, they were going, we, we're not living this way. The Bible says don't bring idols into the land and they're all over the place. And they kept reading it and they read it to the people. And Josiah said, okay, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of all of those idols. And I love what he did. He went out and he didn't just say, well, let's don't worship him anymore. He said, no, let's tear him down. And not only did he tear them down, he, he chopped them up. And then it says he ground them to powder so that no one could even see the idols anymore. No one could go back and worship those idols. They couldn't put them back together. They were just ground up to powder and thrown to the wind. Great picture of repentance. Great picture of what to do when we're tempted to sin. You know, when those idols are in our lives and we're being tempted to do something, look at what Josiah did. Take those things and grind them up. Get rid of them so they're not even anywhere near you in your life. A great picture of what God's, the power of Scripture, the power of Scripture to change us, to change our lives. See, oftentimes we see God as this big killjoy that sits up there and just doesn't want us to have any fun. You know, we're, you know, uh, we get tired of our marriage and, and we get a crush on somebody else and we think God is just really a killjoy up there because he wants me to work on my own marriage. That's not the truth at all. In fact, listen to this quote. I love this Thomas Merton quote. He says, we are most free when we live in God's parameters. And that is the truth. That is the truth. That's when, see, we think we're going to be free, but here's the deal. When we don't live according to God's word, you talk about bondage. You talk about being in prison. You go and you do it your own way, and all of a sudden you find yourself in horrible bondage, a horrible mess. But the more you live according to God's word, the freer you get. I've experienced that. I've experienced that freedom. And I know a lot of you have too. A lot of you have experienced that kind of freedom. But we desire to be a church that, that's full of people who live by the authority of God's word. That we don't just read it, but that we say, yes, I'm going to live by it. I'm going to live by it too. Okay, let's move on to the next, next word here. It's correction. This word is uh, similar to rebuke, but it's a little softer. This word actually means to alter or adjust one's thinking. It's sort of like this. You know, recently, have you ever had this where you're driving your car and you notice it's kind of pulling to the right? You know, and it's just kind of off kilter. I, I had that happen not long ago, and I, I went into the tire place, and they said, oh, well, you just need to have your tires aligned. They're just off a little bit. They're off balance a little bit. Well, sometimes we find our alignment starting to get off a bit, and we don't even realize it. We, we're getting a little off balance, so to speak, and we're just kind of being pulled down a road, maybe with our attitude or temptation that's not really very good, and um, we need to be adjusted 
a bit. You know, and we begin to believe lies about ourselves, things that aren't true at all. And we need to have some adjustment in our lives. Well, that's what the Word of God does. The Word of God, it corrects our thinking. It adjusts our thinking. You know, we're constantly bombarded with the media and all kinds of things that get us off balance, that get our alignment out of whack, and we don't even realize it. Sometimes we do not even realize it, but reading God's Word, all of a sudden we see light. And we go, oh, I need to change that. You know, I, it's sort of like, did any of you ever remember the guy on Saturday Night Live, Stuart Smalley? Anybody remember? And he used to say, you know, you're all having stinking thinking. You know, and he'd say, you know what I do when I feel bad thoughts about myself or others? Remember what he'd do? I mean, this pitiful, pitiful guy. <laughs> and he would stare in the mirror and he'd say, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. And he'd say, we all need to do that. We need to, you know, say that to ourselves every day. Here's the deal. That will change nothing. That will change nothing. You know what changes us? Is taking our eyes off the mirror, off of ourselves, looking into God's word, and allowing the truth of God's word to speak to our hearts. Speak truth to our hearts of who we are, how he, how he wants us to view others, and how we're to live. You know, I've, I've given you an assignment. I've put an outline. Along with an outline, there's an insert in your bulletin that says, Who am I in Christ? I think that's the title of it, or Who am I? Yeah, Who, who I am in Christ? Something like that. Anyway, basically, it's got all these scriptures down from who we are, what God says about us, rather than what we tend to say or what our parents said or what other people say. And if you begin to take one of these scriptures every day or even meditate on one a week, it will get into your spirit and change your thinking. Change that, what Stuart Smalley calls stinking thinking, you know. It'll change that in your life. Okay, so I want to encourage you to do that, do that. All right, now let's move on to the next word. It's training in righteousness. The Greek word is to form by instruction and drilling. This is an actual military term. To, uh, basically, it describes soldiers. And they, they teach soldiers, and then they take them out and they drill soldiers. And they teach them to be ready for battle at all times. And so you're constantly taught, but you're constantly practicing and being drilled. Those of you that were in the military know this. So that when the, the real battles of life come, you're prepared, you're ready. See, that, that's exactly the way it is with us. We are drilled by reading the Word of God and then putting it into practice daily in little ways. You know, in our homes, in the way that we treat the people we live with, you know, our spouses, you know, just saying please and thank you and being kind. When the Bible talks about showing love and choosing to be kind, 
We, we learn to do those things with our children. That's how you grow. You know, at work, choosing to forgive, choosing to just be a godly person and do what the Bible says at work. And, it, and those little things that we do when you drive, you know, rather than yelling when you drive and getting all mad at that person that cut you off, you know, choose to forgive that person. The little things, the little things every day, that's how we drill. We drill ourselves, and then we're ready when the big trials of life, when the big battles come, and the enemy has things prepared for you to bring you down. But it's important that we become good soldiers and quit living as if we're civilians. See, oftentimes, I forget that I'm a soldier, and I start thinking I'm, I'm a civilian. And I see people do that all the time. We need to quit thinking we're civilians and realize we're in a battle all the time. The enemy is lurking around, looking. It says in 1 Peter 5 that he's lurking around, looking for someone to devour. That's pretty harsh. He wants to devour you. And he's looking for a weakness. And so we need to stay in God's word. And that helps us to move on to maturity. We become mature believers when we choose to believe God's word and put it into practice. It's that one-two punch. John Wimber used to say that's how we live the word of God. We, we read it, we believe it, and then we do it. We read it, and then we do it. You know, and that's with anything. That's why we keep... Praying for healing all the time because the Bible says to do that. And then ever so often we get to see someone get healed. And it's so exciting when you see someone healed and delivered. But we keep pressing on to what God tells us to do. And then he says so that, in verse 17, we do these things so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped every good work. See, if we read the word of God and believe it and practice it, we begin to be equipped disciples, equipped followers of Christ. The word equipped means to be made ready. Again, it's another military term that we need to be ready at all times. And that's why we need the word of God to, to speak to us. Hebrews 4.12 it explains what the word is. It says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know, back in those days, a good soldier kept their sword with them at all times. And the Bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates our souls and speaks life to our spirits. And it also, you know what? It gives us comfort when we're in difficult times. You know, Danny and I have experienced some hard things the last few months. A lot of you know. And I tell you, the Bible, you know, even yesterday morning, I'm opening up the Word of God, and in Psalm 119, God just spoke to my spirit some things that I needed for that moment. And I knew it was the Word of God. I knew God was speaking directly to me, there was life on it. It wasn't just dry intellectual words. It was the very voice of God speaking to my spirit for that moment. And you know what? It brought comfort. It brought comfort to my soul. 
God's word is not just a dry intellectual document. You know what the Bible? It really is God's love letter to us. He wants you to know how much he loves you and how much he loves mankind throughout all of history. And you read that and you just see God's continued to reach out to people on earth throughout history. It's amazing when you just think, wow, why? Why do you keep loving us the way you do? But he wants us to know how much he loves us. John 5, 39, he's speaking to the religious leaders, Jesus was, and he said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that in them you will find life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me. See, the religious leaders refused to come to Jesus through the scriptures. They refused to allow God to speak his words of love to them because they just approached it as an intellectual document. When we come to God, ask him, say, breathe upon these words. Show me your love. Speak your love to my heart as I read it. See, God wants you to know how much he loves you. Romans 8, 38 says that absolutely nothing can separate you from his love. And we read the scriptures and we begin to realize, wow, he does love me. He loves you so much that it says that he wanted to prove his love to us. In Romans 5, 8, it says God proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, you can't prove it in any greater way than that that I can think of to give your own son to prove how much you love someone. God proved his love for us in sending his son. Well, lastly, in wrapping this up, develop a passion for God's word. Sometimes we just don't have the habit yet, and it takes about a month to build a habit into your life. But number one, let me just give you a few points on just developing a passion for God's word. Number one, read to learn directly from God. Say, God, speak to me. Breathe life. Inspire your word as I read it today. So when you read it, approach it that way. And say, God, speak to me today by your spirit as I read the word of God. Number two, read to obey. Don't just say I'm going to read it and then ignore what it says, but read it. And, you know, that word correction, let him bring those adjustments into your life. Say, God, correct me. If I'm off with my thinking a little bit, bring correction into my life. And he will. He will. He will answer that prayer. And then number three, let me encourage you to begin to develop a time and a place to read the Word of God. Like I mentioned, my time, because I'm a morning person, is first thing in the morning. You know, I get up, I get that cup of coffee, and I read the Word. And I just do that. It's like clockwork. I just do it. I stumble down the stairs, half asleep, and I go in and I open the Word. And I have a place. That's very. It's a good place for me. That's my place. And sometimes that just helps to develop a habit. And that's not the only place I read the word, but that's my time just to meet with God when I read every day. 
And then number four, read to share with others. You know, when you read something that speaks to your heart, look for opportunity to share that with someone else. You know, when we share truth with someone else, it really gets it into our spirit. We don't forget it. So look for opportunity to be used by God, not just for you, but to give it away to someone else. And, and it will get into your spirit. God will bless you. Why don't you all stand up? I'm going to do a little bit of ministry here. We have a little bit of time. Let's just wait on the Holy Spirit a minute and see what... He wants to say to us. We're just going to invite him to come. He loves, he promises in the word that he loves to visit his people. He said, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he will give you more, more. He promises as a good father to give us more. So let's invite him to come speak to us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come. Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are a loving Father that loves to give us so much more of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Okay, there's a couple of things that I just uh, felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. One was that he wants to release grace to read the Word of God. Some of you, you know, you just feel like I've gotten a little dry with it. I need new grace to read the Bible. But the other thing was I felt like God said that there's some people here that are worried and heavy-hearted about a couple of things, about children and about uh, finances. And the Lord wants to release grace upon you. And so I just want, let's just stay right where we are today. Just stay right where we are and just allow the Holy Spirit to begin ministering to us. If you need grace for the word of God, if you feel worried about your children, about finances or anything, just open your heart up. In fact, just open, lift your hands up and let the Lord fill you with grace. Come Holy Spirit with your grace. Come Holy Spirit. Come. There's also uh, some of you that are experiencing or you have experienced a deep loneliness lately. And the Lord is saying, I want to fill that hole in your heart. Just open your heart up. Allow him to fill that hole. Come Holy Spirit. 
Let your grace come. Increase your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. Just relax and receive. The Holy Spirit is moving and, and resting on many of you right now. More. Pour your love out. Let your love come. Let your grace come. Some of you are carrying a huge burden. Just release it to him now. Come Holy Spirit. Just release your children into his hands. Release those worries into his hands. Some of you that are uh, really, you know, you're carrying heaviness about your children and about finances, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Raise your hand up. Right, real high, real high. Okay, the rest of us that don't have our hand up, open your eyes and look at those people and just go put your hand on their shoulder and just stand with them. Let the Holy Spirit flow through you. Keep your hand up because people are wandering around looking for someone to pray for. There's, okay. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you. Let your grace come. We invite you in. We invite you into this situation. Just release your fears to him now. Let him come. Let the Spirit of God come. Lord, I pray for a new faith to be released. Faith to believe for those they care about. Faith to believe for their circumstances, that you've got it. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Just keep receiving. The Spirit of God is moving. You sense that just that there's like a holy silence in the room. 
That's the presence of God here. Just receive that. Michael's going to sing over us as we just keep receiving. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord, your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your visitations this week on each and every one of us as we're reading the living word I pray that you would visit us in a powerful way and speak to our hearts bring rebuke if it's needed bring correction bring instruction Lord speak to our hearts bless us in the mighty name of Jesus amen <laughs> 